Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. In 1913, John D. Rockefeller, at the peak of his wealth, had a fortune worth roughly 2% of the entire U.S. economy. At one point, he owned 90% of all of the oil in the U.S., and he had great influence over the oil industry, the rail industry, over all of it, and he was the richest person in the country. And the tale goes that at the peak of his wealth, a reporter came to him and said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And nobody really knows if he actually responded this way or if this actually happened. But his response, just a little bit more. Imagine with me for a moment that you have your dream life. You have that dream house or that dream condo the dream spouse, the dream car, the dream education, the career, everything that you ever imagined your life could be. You have the house in the burbs with the yard and the fence, or maybe the condo in downtown with the lake view on one side and the skyline on the other. Are you satisfied? The next iPhone comes out and the newest version of your car with the new interior and the new body style comes out. So naturally, you go and you buy them. Are you satisfied? Your spouse is not keeping you happy anymore. So you go on to the next lover or the next Tinder fling because you're spending half your evenings on Tinder dates. And you say, this will be the last one. But surely it's not. Are you satisfied? This is the issue that the prophet Jeremiah was getting at when he spoke to the people of God. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken sisters that can hold no water. And that is my daughter. I can hear her back there. I love you, Amaya. You see, the problem that we run into as people as people living in human flesh and human nature in a broken world, is that we are constantly trying to fill ourselves with things that will never actually satisfy us. And we find ourselves running back to the same thing over and over again, or to the next thing, thinking that finally we will find satisfaction. We convince ourselves that just one more upgrade, one more Tinder fling, one more night of staying at your boyfriend's house, that it's going to make you happy. And what happens is when we continue to live our lives this way, we become so numb to the reality of what actually will satisfy that in order to keep that life going, we have to continue running back to those things. And we continue to numb ourselves 
and we continue to leave ourselves broken. This is the lie that has been implanted in people since the beginning in the garden that worshiping the creation is going to bring more satisfaction than worshiping the creator God. Is the upgrade really going to satisfy you? Is sleeping with that girl really going to satisfy you? Is that promotion really going to satisfy you? That nightcap before bed, that drug, that spouse, that Netflix binge. Church, are you satisfied? Or are you falling into the never-ending cycle of just a little bit more? Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. It's so profound. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So does the life and the teachings of Jesus say anything to us about how we can live lives that are satisfied completely? And I think you all know the answer. Yes, he does. And yes, they do. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 5, chapter 5, Verse six. Uh, my name is Ruben. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to meet you all. Good to see you if we haven't met. So, hey, hey, Nick. Um, and as you guys know, we have been in a series uh, titled Paradox of the Kingdom. And how we have defined paradox is this. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded, or true. And so far, we've gone through topics such as joy, fulfillment, mercy, abundance, life, victory, just to name a few of them. And the paradox that I want to speak about today is the paradox of longing. The paradox of longing. And this is the paradox. In the world, we long for things that we think will satisfy us but actually end up leaving us empty and broken. But in the kingdom, satisfaction comes as our longings become for God and for his righteousness. So I'm going to teach a little bit today, and then I'm going to give us a few thoughts to take home, and then we're going to worship some more. Is that okay? Cool. So Matthew 5, 6, I'm going to read a whopping 14 words this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people, God, that we get to walk this journey of faith together. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you impart upon each of us words of life, words of conviction where it's needed, would you pierce us with your word this morning? And would you remind us that you are our ultimate satisfaction? Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Hunger is a natural thing, yes? If you go four days without eating or drinking and you're not hungry and thirsty, I would encourage you to go see a doctor because something is probably wrong. 
We don't have to teach ourselves to be hungry. This happens naturally. We have physical needs that we need to meet in order to stay alive and to remain satisfied. But our bodies don't just tell us that they are hungry. They can also tell us what exactly we are hungry for. This is called an appetite or a longing. And this is because we develop tastes for things. And in the same way that you've developed over the years tastes for physical cravings, things that you've eaten before, these things cause us to desire those things again. The same thing happens in the spiritual realm. You see, hunger is natural, but appetite is acquired. Hunger is natural, but appetite is acquired. If you guys know me, I absolutely love crepes. Uh, I'm, I'm Romanian, okay? And Romanians love crepes. I grew up on crepes. Didn't matter the kind of crepes, sweet, savory, jam-filled, whatever, whatever it is. I love, so much so that in college, in my senior year, I went and worked at a place called The Crepe Shop. Um, it's out in Lakeview on Broadway in Wellington. If you want to have the best crepes in Chicago, go. Uh, they are fantastic. But I didn't just one day wake up and love crepes, right? I grew up eating them. And as I ate them, different crepes, sweet crepes, savory crepes, different flavors, I grew to love crepes. And the same way that over time, like I said, we develop physical appetites. The same thing happens in the spiritual realm. You see, the scriptures, they oftentimes use physical uh, analogies and metaphors to speak about spiritual realities. We all know that Jesus is not telling us to go to Mariano's and buy righteousness and eat it when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not something that is tangible. It's not something that you can actually eat. But this is a physical metaphor for a spiritual reality. It's the imagery that the psalmist uses when he says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. What is your soul hungry for? What is your soul thirsty for? See, we often try, at times try to fill a spiritual longing with a physical thing, with a possession, with a feeling or an emotion or a person. But we fail to realize sometimes that those things will never fill our spiritual longings. They don't. They do not. You cannot satisfy a spiritual longing with a physical thing. And this is the way that God created us to be, to be people of longing, to be people of appetite, people of desire. And when we're looking in the world to satisfy our longing, we're looking in all the wrong places. And because of our sinful nature, we turn to things that feel and sound and taste the most appealing to try to feed those spiritual longings within us, but they're going to leave us empty and broken, wells that are dry, cisterns that can hold no water. We will never find our satisfaction when we try to fill the spiritual longings of our soul with the things of the world. 
if we fall prey to the trap that just a little bit more will be enough, we will always be chasing the feeling of satisfaction, but never attaining it. Anybody ever been there? And if you've been with us here at Oasis for any amount of time, you know that we oftentimes say these following phrases around here. The question is not whether you're going to worship or not. The question is who or what you're going to worship. You've heard us say, it's not a matter of if you're going to be formed or not. It's a matter of what you're going to be formed by. And the same thing goes with longing. It's not a matter of if you're going to long or have an appetite for something. The question is, what are you longing for? So I want to ask us this question. Are you going to choose to hunger and thirst for things that will leave you dissatisfied and parched? Or are you going to hunger and thirst for that which will fully satisfy you? yet paradoxically keep you coming back because it is so, so good. So if the things of this world are never going to satisfy us, you may ask, what does Jesus say about what will satisfy? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be satisfied when your soul longs for righteousness. This here is what Jesus says is the key to living a life that is satisfied, to long for, to have an appetite for righteousness. And in order for us to know what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have to get an idea of what the scriptures mean when it speaks about righteousness. And as I've studied, I found that the scripture primarily speaks about righteousness in three different areas. The first is in God in his attribute of righteousness. So God is righteous. The second are the private acts of righteousness done by both God and his people. And the third are the public acts of righteousness done by both God and his people. So God is righteous, private acts of righteousness, and public acts of righteousness. So we're going to start with God. Cool? Great. So God is righteous. Romans 3 reminds us that there is none that is righteous, not one, except for God. Psalm 145.7 reads that the Lord is righteous in all of his ways, gracious in all of his works. And we read about the righteousness of God time and time again, both Old Testament and New Testament, that he is upright that he is innocent, that he is faultless, that he is holy, and he is the only one who is righteous. And this is the beauty of the gospel, friends, that you and I, that we were not born with an inclination toward righteousness. Our innate desires are for the things of this world. Yet Jesus, while we were his enemies, came and died for you, for me. He took on our sin, our guilt, our wrath, our shame, and he nailed it to that cross. And he was buried and he rose again. And three days later, he he rose. And you know what happened? In exchange for our sin and our guilt and our shame, he gave us his righteousness. And this is good news, friends, that we 
were once enemies with God, but now we are declared righteous through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it's because of him and him alone that we're even here this morning. Can anybody say amen? So good. And guys, when Jesus gives us his righteousness in exchange for our sin, it is for a position of righteousness but also for a way for us to begin to act righteously and live righteously as well. You see, we die to our old selves. They're buried with him. And then we resurrect with him in a resurrection like his. And he gives us his spirit to long for things that are upright. Now, no longer are you simply, I say simply, it's a really good thing, simply declared righteous. But now we get to live lives of righteousness. So, as our longings are directed toward God, this results in both private responses of righteousness as well as public actions of righteousness. Prior to studying for this morning, I'd never heard of private and public righteousness. Um, and as I was studying and as I was reading and searching, um, these, these two areas of righteousness came about. Private righteousness is the things that the Lord is doing in you every single day, right? We are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And we still have sin within us that the Lord is constantly working on us in. This is the process that we would call formation, or you might also call it sanctification. You see, God might call you to repent of a specific sin, or he might call you into a season of deep prayer and fasting. And he might invite you to read through the scriptures. When we respond to God in obedience, these are private acts of righteousness that we do in response to God's calling upon our lives. Remember, we are all formed by something. What are you going to choose to be formed by? And then there's public righteousness. There's standing in the gap for the marginalized. There's taking in the orphan or uh, fostering a child. Um, those things that we do in order to extend the righteousness of God to the world around us. This is what Isaiah spoke of to the nation of Israel about extending God's righteousness to the world. Is it not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. So when we know God who is righteous, we receive him and he invites us under his formation to become righteous people. And then he calls us to extend that righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So church, do you long for the one who is righteous? 
Do you long to become a person who is righteous? Do you long to perform acts of righteousness to the world around us? Because Jesus says, when our longing, when our appetites become appetites of righteousness, it is then that you will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I don't know about you guys, but if there's one person that I want to trust when he tells me that I will be satisfied by something, it's Jesus. He literally created us. He knows every single hair on our head. And for some reason, we think that we know better about what's going to satisfy us or not. And really, it's kind of foolish, right? Like godly satisfaction is the best satisfaction. And he's not trying to strip us, church, of, of living lives that are satisfied. He's actually trying to do the complete opposite when he gives us the boundaries and he tells us the context and the places into which we are able to enjoy the things that he has given us. The difference between satisfaction in the world and satisfaction in the kingdom is that when you pursue satisfaction in the world, the satisfaction ends on the thing that you are pursuing. Whereas in the kingdom, you, you do the thing and then your satisfaction rolls up into praise to God. Let me give you two examples. The world and the church can both enjoy a good steak and a glass of wine, correct? And they're both gonna enjoy it. But for people who don't have the Lord, the satisfaction is going to end on the steak and the wine. Man, that was a really good steak. Man, that was, that was a great glass of wine. And like, that's it. But for the believer, you partake and you say, God, you are so good. Thank you for giving us good food. Thank you for giving us good things to enjoy. Thank you for being a gracious creator who's allowed us to enjoy these things. Another example, the world and the church can both have sex and enjoy it, Right? But for the non-believer, the, the satisfaction ends on the act of sex itself. Whereas for the believer, we actually say, God, thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you that you've allowed us to come into covenant relationship with one another. And you've given us this thing to enjoy in the context that you have given it to us. God is not trying to strip you of being satisfied. God is trying to help you to be fully satisfied. You see, when we worship the creation rather than the creator, we're left empty and dry. And family, I can speak from experience that no relationship, no substance, no drink, no thing in this world has been able to satisfy me the way that Jesus is able to satisfy. Satisfaction that comes from God is the only lasting satisfaction because we, in the words of Lewis, were created for another world. The satisfaction that Jesus has on offer and the satisfaction that he promises, unlike any satisfaction we can receive from the world. So I ask you again, church, are you satisfied? Do you want and long to live a life of satisfaction? 
Do you want to develop a longing for the things of God so that he will paradoxically fill you yet keep you constantly running back for more because it is so, so good? If your answer is yes, I want to leave us with a few thoughts this morning to form us throughout these next few weeks. If you want to develop a longing for the things of God and be satisfied in him, we need to first know God who is righteous. This seems like a very simple yet often daunting task. How am I supposed to know somebody that I cannot see? How am I supposed to know somebody that I cannot audibly hear? How am I supposed to know somebody that I cannot touch or hug or, or any of that? You see, loving the presence of God is a sort of acquired taste. We all know we're hungry for something, but we don't fully understand what we're hungry for until we taste the only thing that will satisfy. And the more that you taste of him, the hungrier you will become for him. And the more time you spend with him, the better you will get to know him. This is what David writes in Psalms 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints. Church, that's you. Fear the Lord, you, his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And all of God's people said, amen. Church, if we want to meet with the Lord, we have to show up. Like, you want to hang out with your friends, you, you got to go hang out with your friends, right? Like, you want to eat a good meal, like, you got to go, you got to go get the food. Like, we can't expect something to just happen if we're not willing to show up. And in a world that is constantly busy and bustling and moving in the next scroll and the next swipe left, swipe right, whatever everyone's doing out there, we need to slow down and we need to show up. Create a space where you can be alone with the Lord. The things that we spend the most time in the presence of are the things that we are going to have appetites for. Where are you spending your time? Who are you spending your time with? What are you doing with your time? So for you, creating the space might look like an early morning cup of coffee with the Bible open and praying through the scriptures. For you, it might look like a stroll through your neighborhood talking to Jesus or maybe a stroll down the lakeshore. Or maybe for you this morning, it looks like a full surrender to Jesus saying, Lord, I am done with the games. And then you go home this morning and you spend a little bit of time with Jesus. You speak with him. You allow him to talk to you. Whatever this looks like for you, just make sure that you are slowing down and you are showing up. Take time and seek after God. Talk to him. Ask him questions. Give him praise. Worship him in song. Allow his word to penetrate your heart as you read. And these invitations are for those who've been following Jesus for 50 years and those of us in this room who maybe aren't following Jesus at all right now and everywhere in between. The scriptures are filled with promises for the people of God that when they seek him, he shows up. This is one of the themes that is woven from beginning to end. Can I read a few of these passages over you guys? 
I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Proverbs 8, 17. Deuteronomy 4, 29. But from there you will seek the Lord and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Luke 11, 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Psalm 22, 26. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Should I keep going? First Chronicles 16, 11. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Psalm 105, 3 and 4. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his praise. Seek his face always. And finally, Psalm 145, 18 through 20. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. So, my friends, come on. Yeah, can we give Jesus some praise? He is so, so good. Friends, slow down. Show up. God is eager and waiting and expectant to meet with you. He wants to satisfy you with his love and his righteousness. The second thing, if we want to develop a longing for the things of God and be satisfied in him, we need to allow ourselves to be changed by God. This is the process of becoming more righteous. And, and, and so practically, right? So we want to become practically the people that we already are positionally. And what I mean by that is when Jesus declared us righteous by his work, by the person and work of Jesus, when he received him, we were declared righteous. But how many of you guys know we still got some things we're working on, right? We still have some things that the Lord is molding us and shaping us. And, and so we want to undergo this process of formation, this process of sanctification, where he is making us more like himself. Allow yourself to sit under the knife of the surgeon. Allow yourself to be changed and transformed by him so you can be the person outwardly that he has declared you positionally. We want to be more like Jesus. And one day we will be with him and we will be like him. But until then, we live in the kingdom that is now, but not yet. And church, hear me, that is not an excuse to continue sinning. Oh, we're not like him yet, so like I got time. One day I'll, no, 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 no. Like you are missing it if that is your interpretation of that. Yes, one day we will be like him, but until then we are eager to become more like him and spend time with him every single day that he would change us and transform us from one degree of glory to another. This is a good thing. Do not be afraid of this. Don't be afraid of it. The presence of God changes us and we need to allow those changes to happen. Don't resist it. Allow him to work on you. When we spend time with him, he's going to speak to us. He's going to reveal things to us through his word, and he's going to place convictions in our spirit. Please do not grow numb to obeying God. The more you disobey him when he calls you to something, the easier it becomes to disobey. However, the more you say yes to him, 
the more your natural inclination is going to be to say yes to him. So don't ignore when he calls. Don't ignore when he prompts. Don't ignore when he places that thought in your spirit or he speaks to you through his word. Say yes to his knife. Be changed by God. Allow yourself to become practically the person you already are positionally. And as you do this, you will find that your longings and your appetite will become more and more for him and his righteousness and less and less for the world and the things we thought would satisfy us. Lastly, if we want to develop a longing for the things of God and be satisfied in him, we need to do the things he tells us to do outwardly. Okay? There's like our, there's like our stuff, the surgeon's knife within us. But then like we talked about, there's public righteousness. There are things that God is going to call us to do. I know some of you are, are fostering a child right now and in the process of doing that. That is, can we, like, thank you guys for doing that. That is so incredible. And like, we need the church to rise up. We need the people of God to continue moving in the places that God is calling us to move. Go buy your neighbor some groceries. Go take that coworker out to lunch who's been like asking questions and like dropping subtle hints about like, who are you? What do you do? Like, what is this Jesus thing that you have been like talking about? And ask the spirit, what are the things that you're calling me to do? Like, right, it's really easy to jump on the bandwagon of what everybody else is telling us to do and how everybody else is telling us to extend righteousness. But what is God telling you to do? What is the Lord saying to you about how you are going to extend his righteousness to the world around you? Because it might look a little bit different than what the world around us is telling us. When we partner with God to bring his goodness and his uprightness into a situation, our appetite for righteousness grows. So know God, be changed by God and do the things God tells you to do. And as we allow God to move in these areas, he's going to increase our appetite for himself. And as our appetite for him increases, we're going to keep on coming back and he will keep on filling us. And we're going to keep on coming back and he's going to keep on filling us. And we're going to keep on coming back and he's going to continue filling us because he is that good and he wants to satisfy our souls. So we're going to worship and seek the Lord together in a few short moments. But I want to close with a, a brief story from the scriptures. If you guys recall, Israel um, was called to enter into uh, the promised land. In a journey that was supposed to take 40 days, um, it had turned into 40 years. And as they were wandering, they were complaining and they were grumbling. And so the Lord, the Lord in his grace and his kindness, he provided food for them. He provided what the scripture says is called manna. And the Lord had called them daily to go and to take just enough food for that day. He said, don't take so little to where you're not going to be satisfied, but don't take so much to where you're going to live on yesterday's manna. Come back every single day. Come and eat from the Lord. Come and drink from the well of living water. Don't live on yesterday's encounter. 
Don't live on the time that you spent the other week in the Word. Receive fresh revelation from God every single day. Remember, slow down, show up. Slow down and show up. Our world is so noisy. Everything around us is go, go, go. But the Lord is saying, come and eat today. Come and drink today. And tomorrow he's saying, come and eat today. Come and drink today. Every day we come and eat and we come and we drink. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good and watch how he will satisfy your soul as you long for him. So as we worship this morning, I wanna lean into God's presence a little bit. Um, We're going together to taste and see that he is good. And we're gonna seek the Lord that he may be found. And so I want us to, to reflect on a couple of questions and then we're gonna continue worshiping. Have you truly and taste, tasted and seen God's goodness? Have you personally, not what your parents taught you, not what you learned growing up, not like have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And secondly, what is the Spirit asking you to lean into this season to increase your longing for Jesus? What is the Spirit asking you to lean into this season to increase our longing?